Hi everyone and welcome to the Student Lawyer podcast series. Whether you're at school, sixth form, university, thinking about studying law or exploring law careers, you're in the right place. We are the one-stop shop for student lawyers. Welcome to the Student Lawyers Podcast. My name is Stephanie and I'm a first year law student at Birkbeck University of London. And I'm Camilla and I am a graduate from the University of Kent and I'm currently applying for training contracts. Today we are joined by Kai Sage who has a very interesting story to share with us today. Um, he is a career changer and did not take the traditional path to a legal career but has successfully secured a training contract at a top City firm Hogan Lovells after completing his law degree at Birkbeck. So, Kai, thank you for joining us here today. Can you tell the listeners a bit about your background and what you uh, were doing before you embarked on a legal career? Um, yeah, so thank you for having me to start with. Um, before I decided to go and do a law degree, I, way back when, was an apprentice electrician and did that for around about eight years where I qualified and then afterwards I lost my job and then decided it was a change but I've, did, I've done many jobs I've been an electrician did a bit of plumbing did a dry lining helped my mum with her business yeah I've done, I've done the works across the board before I came to settle on a law career so during that time did you ever think that law would be an option for you? funny enough no, um, but when I was younger, from my family, most of them understanding like a good career would be law, accountant, you know, the mm. ones they see on the telly. And so it's like, why don't you go into law? You're, you're, you're clever enough. And I just, it wasn't for me. My yeah. family, uh, we're builders, construction trade, it was just, it didn't fit into where I saw myself at that time. But when I got older, I was like, oh. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like a, that sounds like a good thing to try. Yeah, I mean, I can totally relate to that. I left school at the age of 16 and went into hairdressing. And before hairdressing, it was performing arts. And <laughs> people in my family, like my sister, she studied law. And they were like, why don't you do law? Go to university. And I was just like, no, I don't learn that way. Like, law is just not for me. So, yeah, I can definitely relate to that. Um, so what made you decide to study law after all that time and was it a difficult decision to make when you kind of like finally thought like now is the time to decide so the decision of law uh, specifically to go into wasn't that difficult for me I enjoyed um, being a union rep for the student, other apprentices on my company before I got a bit of interest into employment law so going into law wasn't the difficult part of it the choice to change career and go back into studying was, was the hardest part. So at that period, as I said, I'd uh, lost my job. My daughter was under the age of one, and I just, within that year or so, lost um, a close family member. And so for me, it was a big era of change. Mm-hmm. And when I had to look and take stock of what I'm good at, problem solving and helping people, law was just really the only option for me. Yeah, it makes sense. That's really interesting. When did you decide you wanted to become a commercial lawyer after deciding that law was right for you? Yeah, so commercial law was not my go-to yeah. um, at all. I know it's strange now I'm going to be a commercial lawyer. <laughs> but, so I, just before, I started my law degree and then I was a full-time carer of my children. Mm-hmm. And... Then I started, I started working at the CAB and I became a volunteer there for about six months before mm. I got a full-time job working on their pension schemes. So I envisioned myself housing, employment, social justice areas of law because I really enjoyed that area. And I spent years in the like, third sector doing charitable work. But when I moved to my company that I was with just before I got my training contract. Um, they had some very good links with some commercial firms, uh, Hogan Lovells being one of them. And I was running their pro bono projects, dealing with Hogan Lovells, 
Clifford Chance and some other commercial non-law firms. And I just got very interested in some of the stuff that they was dealing with. So the trainees and associates from Hogan Lovells, they would have chats with me, they were some of the nicest people I've ever met. And they would talk me through what they're doing, it'd be very interesting. And it was easy for me to see myself doing what they do, mm-hmm. especially doing the pro bono stuff with Clifford Chance. They had senior associates that would run the sessions with me and we would be able to talk through what's going on in their day, interesting what's going on in the, in the news, all of those sort of deals, and it just piqued my interest. So I was not a born commercial lawyer, but going to Hogan Lovells, where it allows me to do commercial law, which is interesting, but it also allows me to do the pro bono aspect, being either, if not the best um, pro bono uh, program in the city. Yeah, I, I get the best of both worlds. Yeah, because I think that when a lot of people start off doing law, they're they're not actually really sure what commercial law actually involves. So yeah, that's um that's a great way of getting into it. Yeah, if you're going to go into commercial law, I would it's it's easy to read online and, and still not have a clue what it is. Uh-huh. I had no idea which I wanted to go into. Just it, it was difficult, um, but meeting people that do the different types of law, I believe, is the best way of actually figuring out what would be of interest to you. Yeah, and that's what it has to be, an interest to you, not yeah. what you think would be an interest to you. Yeah, because you, you never know. I've done things that I thought were going to be so interested and I've turned up on the day mm-hmm. and I literally just want to leave. Yeah. It's just not. It's, I've done depressing jobs. When I was 16, my first job was horrendous and I could literally have just cried while I was on the job and I did that for about two months before I said no so yeah it's good to find something that you enjoy yeah your life at work is going to be hard Mm -hmm. and so that's why I'm happy that I've found something that I could get out of bed for yeah that's really important um so you studied a law degree and an mm-hmm. LLM in International Economic Law, Justice and Development at Birkbeck University. Mm-hmm. Was this whilst you were still working full time? Yeah, so I my my I did my access course um, part time, but then when I moved on to the LLB, I was part way through the first year. I did a part uh, full time degree, but I wasn't working. And then I started working partway through my first year, full-time. And I carried on working full-time all the way through my degree and through my master's. So there wasn't a period where I, there was any breaks. Not at all. So how did you manage your time? Um, if you manage your time, and how did you stay I, motivated? I, 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 just to be very honest, I don't sleep much. Okay, um, so what do, you, what do you class as not sleeping much? Because I'm doing my part-time mm-hmm. um, degree whilst working full-time mm-hmm. and I mean I'm a girl that needs my sleep mm-hmm. and when I say needs my sleep I would ideally like to have eight hours a night mm-hmm. but I, I just don't see that's possible eight hours is a good night <laughs> it's a very good night I'm not gonna lie I, there was two reasons why for me full-time part-time at Birkbeck didn't make much difference it doesn't does because it because you it ended up being an extra year and I think you did like one less module or something yeah year. it wasn't it's one less yeah and so I and it, when it came to their FaceTime at the university I one less day per week that mm-hmm. I would have to go in yeah that didn't make sense to me so I was just like I will just slog it out right um and management of time, so sleep-wise, for me, I've never, I've never slept much. Like I, at one point, when I was in my degree, I was getting about four hours um, a night, and I can survive on that. Probably not hundred percent on that, but yeah. uh, it is. I don't sleep much, so six. I can, I can, I can work on six a night, five, six hours. Okay, I mean I that's su- what I'm doing now. So I wouldn't suggest it to anyone if they have to. You always have to work out what's your sleep pattern. And then try and fit in around it because if you're tired, you're mm-hmm. not good. I've been in exams when I've stayed up and I've tanked in there, and it's been it's been <laughs> I mean, they're just sacrifices that you need to make, right, to get to where you want to be in life. So, yeah. um, I mean, an hour, two hours less sleep a night yeah. is 
as long as you are getting the rest when you need it and you can manage your time so you're not wasting the time that you have when you are awake, (laughs) when you are conscious. So I can't speak on the um, traditional kind of law course because I've never done it. Um, My... So when I speak to some graduates, it's difficult for me to relate because they've done it just in a day. They yeah. haven't worked and they've had all of that time. For me, I have to be very uh, regimented on how I spend my time. And a lot of the time for me, reading was one. I had. I know some people have to read every single word on every page to understand. I'm lucky enough not to be one of them people. Yeah. So I can skim read a page and be able to pick out the pertinent information quite quickly to be able to understand what's going on. And doing it when you're short on time, that's a yeah. good skill. If you if you can't do that, then you need to factor that into your actual work. So if you know I can do that and I can read 30 pages in that time, if I know I can't, I have to give myself an extra hour or so to understand that information. I think it's very crucial to understand yourself so you can understand how best to work on yeah. your degree. Especially doing it in the evenings after work where really you just want to go home and watch a bit of Netflix. Yeah. Like it's, that's it. That's the struggle. How long did it take you to learn how to kind of like learn to the best way that you can learn, if that makes sense? Because, I mean, mm. going back into education after doing the jobs that you were doing like the labouring jobs, mm. was it was it very easy for you to go in and be like, I can read this page in, you know, five minutes and just skim it? No. Because I find it quite difficult to skim read. Yeah. It wasn't it wasn't anything that... It took some... Because obviously it, it would be good for people to have a look at how they learn. And so there's... Uh, most people know each people learns differently. There's audio, yeah. there's visual... I don't know, I think there's six different categories when I was looking at yeah. And finding out what helps you. So at one point, you know, exam periods, um, classical music would help me drown out all other thoughts, especially if you have to be in the library and mm. someone's clicking their pen over and over again. Yeah. That drives me insane. <laughs> I would work at home, not at the library. Those friends of mine will work in the library because they can't work at home. Mm. So I knew that at home I'd do better work than at the library because I can't bump into anyone. Mm. No one can distract me. I can sit myself in my in my room and just that's me. Yeah. So you have to figure out where best you work, how best you work, do some tests on it. Think about in your daily life, would you some people I've got friends who had uh, post-it notes and stuff all over their bathroom mirror in mm-hmm. the morning. They had flashcards when they woke up there was on the ceiling. Mm. You know like Crazy things. That you say that. Happens. You say that. I've actually re-wallpapered re- my bedroom with mind maps. See, there we go. It's, it, I mean, I woke up in the middle of the night and I thought I was having a nightmare because all I could see was separation of powers in front of me. See, that would that would that would kill me. I couldn't because I would literally wake up because I struggle to sleep. No, because I do struggle to sleep. So if I do wake up and see that, my brain would be like, oh. Let's read that. And then I'd go off and I'd be like three hours later and I'm like, oh, this wasn't the best thing for me to do. So I have to keep that kind of clear mm. and understand that my sleep time was... was Sleeping, fun, yeah. yeah. But, yeah, it was uh, it was fun. Don't get me wrong, I had good fun on, on the degree. Burbeck is great. Um, the staff there, if you engage with them, mm-hmm. are, very, are very good. I was no, I'm more of a solo learner. Yeah. Group learning was not best for me um like my friends would do study groups and i tried it didn't work for me mm-hmm. so i didn't do it anymore mm-hmm. and they may have felt like i was being doing something work. wrong yeah yeah that's how i learn and so you need to find out how you learn and then just maximize that in the smallest period of time mm-hmm. that's what i would recommend anyway yeah yeah that's good to know i mean sometimes when we're um doing group activities and the um, teacher will say, oh, you know, like read through this question and everybody starts talking before I finish reading. Mm-hmm. It's very distracting. And once people start talking, I can't read yeah. the question. Yeah. So, yeah, I can I can totally see where you're coming from when you say that. Um, so you did achieve a first class degree, which is so impressive. Um, do you have any advice for current students like myself that are hoping to achieve a first uh, class degree? Again... I will just go back to understanding who you are, how you learn, and what you want. Because 
there was sacrifices that I had to make. So I've got children. So I did my law degree working full time, being a, a primary carer for three children, um, and other issues. Of the, uh, but this is what I wanted to do. I set myself a goal and. Yeah, I fell down on many times, but you just have to keep keep getting up. Don't beat yourself up. If you've had a night where you feel you should have done it two hours suddenly yeah. you don't, it's not worth feeling bad about it. You just the next night do three hours, make up for the time that you're not doing. Mm-hmm. I find that people end up getting bogged down on the things that they haven't done, and then they can't get on to do the things that they should do. Yeah. And so I would just say, you know yourself, know what time you have plan accordingly and be willing to sacrifice like you're not going to be able to go out every weekend exam period comes you tell your friend look I'm not your friend right now basically because you yeah. can't because you have to prioritise yeah. and people that I found was not good at prioritising their work to give your work to someone else have someone read through read through their work I, I may not like group learning but if I ever had to learn something me explaining that principle to a friend of mine made me understand it even better. Mm. So I would always have quick conversations with a friend, call them up, oh, and kind of just talk you through this, and then it would help me understand it better. Yeah. So find out what works for you, and then just stick to it. Don't yeah. let other people tell you, look, I do it this way, and I'm getting good grades. I found out what worked for me in essays. Other friends were doing very... They would mix up the way that they do their essays. I didn't. I kept mine very structured. I didn't skip around. I didn't try and sound smarter than I am. It was very standard introduction, uh, body, conclusion. Mm -hmm. I wasn't trying to mix arguments. I didn't do that because it didn't work for me. Yeah. And so they were like, oh, and when I was reading theirs, I was thinking, these were great. These made me look bad. (laughs) And then I was getting better grades. And so it worked for me. It didn't work for them. But if I would have followed what they were doing, mm. possibly could have not worked for me as well. Yeah. So just be confident in what you can do. Yeah. If you, you know, if you are not copying somebody else, but doing what somebody else is doing, you know, and you didn't achieve the grades that you could have got. I don't know what just stay true to yourself. Yeah, just stay true to yourself. Don't copy what someone else is doing. Well, you don't want to get to the end of your degree and feel down. I yeah. could have done better. And so you do, it's a lot of money that you're going to be student finance parents, whoever's funding it. It's a lot of money to then at the end of it go, I know I could have done better. Because you get your 2 1, high 2 1, the firms are not going to. Nowadays, a lot of people get first. It's not a major parts. I think on mine, it was it was less than five percent. I think that got first in my cohort. But there are a lot more firsts that people are getting. But a two one is perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. And if you've got to balance your work life, your social mm-hmm. life, family life, and then you get a high two one, I've got utmost respect for you yeah. because I know students that have not done any of that and they can't and they barely scrape a two one. So, getting a first is great. If I didn't achieve a first, I would have been upset with myself because I knew I could. Mm-hmm. But I also understood that there was other pressures in place that I didn't. I knew I could have got a higher first. I was still beating myself up over it because I felt I let myself down on a couple last exams and dropped my grade average. But in the end, it doesn't matter if you get seventy point five percent or if you get a sixty eight. Point five, and they bump you up to a first. You've got a first. You know that. Be happy with your grade. Understand the circumstances that you've affected, and just just move on. Yeah, on to the next thing. But get your two one. Don't, <laughs> just, just get your. Make sure you get the two one because it will be really hard if you don't. So I saw um, recent LinkedIn post that you are dyslexic and dyspraxic. I can't say that word because I'm also dyslexic. Um, what challenges did this bring and how did you overcome these challenges and maintain high grades? Okay, so, yeah, so dyslexia and dyspraxia. Again, I did not know I had this mm. until the second year of my uh, degree. Mm. So my first year was quite terrible. Um, I, I think, I don't think I got a 2-1. I think I was about 59%. Um in exam period, I became homeless, and so there wasn't 
able to do much revising. And so it just, it just was crap. In the uh-huh. second year, I had always thought maybe I had dyslexia. I had some assessments done in like college, but they weren't proper assessments. Yeah. They were just like, look, we think your grades were this. They were not um, very consistent. We think you have it. We'll give you some extra time. Mm-hmm. Fine. But then I, I decided, look, there's a, obviously some sort of issue here. And I went and did, I think it's an online kind of test that Burbank do before they send you on. Mm-hmm. Um, once I got that help, and even just the knowledge of knowing that I did have dyslexia, it allowed me to stop worrying about my grammar and my spelling all the time, because that always used to bug me. I wouldn't write, I don't take notes, like I'm not a very good note taker when mm-hmm. it comes to my lectures. The way that I learned was if I wrote notes, I would have loads of pages, and no knowledge on what we just spoke about, just none at all. So I wouldn't take notes, I would record, and then I would listen, so I would listen to actually understand. Then later on, I would go over my recordings, and then I would take notes on my recordings, yeah. not on the actual lecture, because I need to understand it by actually sitting there and being present in the room, and not just bodily present. My mind needs to be there as well. So for me, it was just working out how I worked and mm. learned, even with my dyslexia, and trying doing what's best for me. And again, it was just little tricks like that. Plus, but they helped. They gave you extra time. I uh, gave me a laptop. No, so they gave me a computer that I could use in exams because my handwriting is. I can't understand it when I get home. So yeah, it's, same. Yeah, I use um, gridded paper. Okay. And then write one letter in in each grid because I find it easier to read. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. Because I mean this is a new thing this week so we'll see how that goes. It should help because I again, no joint up writing for me, all block letters because it's 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 terrible. (laughs) And I learned that in in school because my teachers were like, This is not acceptable. They would always talk criticise my handwriting, so now I've got a a very small phobia about writing yeah. and letting anyone see my handwriting mm-hmm. so it would always be block letters and then now people could understand whereas before it was just me scribbling like I'm doing a signature on a page all the time but yeah the, these little things understanding what helps you these will help block these grid paper like that will maybe help you keep structure it will kick you on the line it will help you out um, I used a computer because they let me yeah. extra time and recording seminars and lectures that really helped and just it just is harder I'm not going to lie I had to do yeah. more hours reading even though I can understand the information quickly it just meant that I would, when it comes to exam period I didn't have copious notes like some of my colleagues to go back on so I would have to listen to all of the seminars all of the lectures again basically retake the course before exams. So you were saying before that you listened to the lectures again, took notes on that, mm. and then you said you took notes on your notes. Yeah, so I would, my notes would, I would, I've never been good at notes taking, so I would always, um, listen, record it. So in the first lecture, I would sit down on seminar and I would be present. I would yeah. just concentrate Take on it learning. Then I, when I got home, probably not that evening, maybe on the weekend, I would then listen to my the actual lecture and try and take down notes. And then when it come round again, because my notes still wasn't that good, mm-hmm. I would then listen to the lectures again. Right. And basically, I was just consistently relearning. I'm very yeah. good at cramming knowledge in yeah. in a short period, so I would <laughs> kind of relearn everything as I go along. And for me, that was a good strategy of even if if you're you're good at short-term memory, mm-hmm. great, then do that, cram it all in. If your long-term memory is better, then doing something, consi- you should always do it consistently across the year. Cramming, I wouldn't recommend on anyone, it's stressful. It's yeah, hard. that freaks me out. Yes. I've got friends who could not cram to save their life because they would just have a panic attack. Mm-hmm. And which is, doesn't, what doesn't work for them works for me, Yeah. and vice versa. So they would spend, they would have just folders and notes that were impeccable, the whole thing. And I'd be envious of them. But then I couldn't work like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I do feel for you and good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs>
No, it's a it's a difficult it's a difficult thing. People don't understand. People think it's because oh, so you get your letters backwards, or you it's nothing. It's for me, I had them problems on yeah. certain words, but it wasn't for me. It was sometimes even when I'm speaking, the word that I want to say just won't come out. Yeah, but you know exactly yeah. what it is that you want to say. Just yeah, it just sometimes yeah, and I'm just and then I have to change. And then people think I'm stopping, but I'm thinking of another word that means the same word. Yeah. And then I go with that. Because it does. So it's not just your written work. It's how you structure your work. Dyspraxia goes to how you organise yourself, how you're organised, how you need... So putting them together, it's just... Yeah. It makes it makes studying interesting. It does. To say the least. Okay, so Kai, you secured a training contract with Hogan Novels this year following a vacation scheme. So congratulations. Thank you very much. Um, how did you feel when you... <laughs> When you found out that you that you were successful at the end of your vacation scheme, oh, that was amazing! The weekend was horrendous. So, we at Hogan Lovell, you do three weeks in the summer back scheme, and then on the penultimate day, you have a um, an interview with two partners that you've never met before, mm-hmm. or if you have, you they've never officially sat in your in your area you've been in, but they know almost immediately on that day by the end of Thursday if they're going to give you a training right. or not. But they won't tell you on Friday. Right. Because that means that if you get told you have one, they're telling people that they don't have one and yeah. you normally go out together uh, for a drink after. Becomes so they awkward. Awkward, so yeah. They don't tell them they don't have it until yeah. the week afterwards. Okay. And so if you're getting it, they're, it's just people ticking off phone calls and it's not nice. No. So obviously... Understanding that's going to cause problems for people, they change their policy to letting you know on the Monday, which mm-hmm. is I agree with. But it was hard that weekend. I can imagine. Yeah, and I just started a new job on the Monday, so I got a new job. Yeah. Started it on the Monday, about two hours into my new <laughs> job, walking through the introduction, I got a phone call. Oh from wow! Another new job. Oh yeah, I was just like running around and like, what's going on? I was like, I got a new job, and I was like, what, are you leaving? I was like, no. no. <laughs> Uh, oh, wow, not, yes. not for another year, um, but yeah, it's a it was nice. a surreal moment. But um, no, it was it was it was amazing. So, what was your like? Let's rewind a little bit. When did you start applying to law firms? Did you start applying whilst you were at university, or did you wait until um, afterwards? So I am um, I fall into that lucky category of I got a training contract on my first round of applications. Wow. Um, yeah, I'd never, I'd looked at applications, but I'd never applied just because when you're working family, I didn't have time when mm-hmm. I was doing my law degree to go to open evening. And even though they had them, I was very late behind all of that. So when I see first years that are at events and doing experience, I'm like, you are amazing because I didn't even know to do that. Yeah. Um, so I didn't apply. I didn't think I was good enough to make applications because I didn't. My GCSEs were below average. A levels I never took. And right. I had MVQs, but they don't. They don't carry any UCAS points unless they've changed them now. Mm-hmm. So when I was uh, looking to apply to firms and they're asking for three AAB UCAS points, I had none of the qualifying criteria. So I knew that's why for me getting a first was a was an issue. I had to get it because. In my head, if I didn't, I was just going to look like someone who's not done very well and then just gone on to get a 2-1. Mm-hmm. And I had to show that that I could get first and that they were just, there was just school errors, yeah, you know, being young. But no, I didn't apply. So then I did my master's and then I'd made some, some applications, but my applications, again, were not the strongest but they were good enough to get me... Past the first stage. Yeah, I have a lot to be grateful for. I knew that for me, I wasn't the strongest candidate academically from previous to my degree. Even though you got a first-class law degree, you go to all of these law firms and they ask you about your A-levels and the GCSEs and you think, why is that Mm. relevant to me? I'm 30 odd years old. I I wouldn't pass my GCSEs now in... To be honest, I think it says more about you if you have come from that kind of um, you know background 
not getting the right A levels that you need to, you know, get like traditional yeah, cause if entry you, point to. If you stay in education, it's like GCSEs, A levels, and then university. It's kind of like a like a slow hill that you're kind of climbing. Yeah. And things are progressing and it's getting more difficult, but mm. your skills mm. are kind of improving. Yeah. But whereas if you go straight from working to, you know, not doing A-levels, going straight to university, I think it's definitely a bigger a bigger jump. But did you, so did you find doing a master's helped you? Is that something that you, why did you decide to do a master's? Again, the master's for me was just because of my academic performance okay. prior to my degree. It didn't show me as, in my mind, a strong candidate, even with a first-class degree. Plus, I never enjoyed studying when I was younger in school. didn't enjoy academics. It just wasn't who I was back then. But when I did my law degree, I enjoyed the process of learning. Yeah. And I didn't think I was finished in that area. Mm -hmm. So I decided to go on to do my master's. I did that full-time. I had to bring it down to part-time because... My daughter had some health issues at the time, so I couldn't complete right. full time. But for me, it was just a, a, an actual choice of I'm enjoying what I'm doing. Yeah. I don't need to rush to go into yeah, practice. Good. So doing, I guess the kind of reason why you're asking that is whether a master's is helpful in getting a training contract. Yeah, because a lot of recruiters, um, you know, graduate recruitment say that it makes absolutely no difference. Yeah. Um, so it's just interesting to see what value you think that it, it added to your application. Okay. Um, application-wise, yeah. I don't think it adds to your application right. at all, unless you've got a reason for it. Right. And so if you... I had they, I got questions on it, and yeah. it was why, why going to... So you, we see you did this, yeah. why? And I, I gave that answer that I've given to you today. Yeah. And because it, that's what was in my head mm-hmm. if if you're going to do a master's just because you think it's going to get you better it's not go and get a go and get a year or two work experience that trumps a master's right, without yeah. a doubt they will respect your work experience in whatever area it is so you have to want to do it you have to actually want to learn more i suppose yeah. that's, well, yeah, that's what you want to do yeah. learn more more about the area yeah. In law, that's one option, more of just knowing that, look, you like studying mm-hmm. and you can justify it in front of two partners who sit sitting there going, well, you say you want to be a solicitor, but why would you take two years out to do a master's in mind social justice, basically, with something right. yeah. they're And they're a commercial firm. They're looking at it like, well, this doesn't match up. Yeah, so actually, potentially, it... Yeah, causes more questions. Oh, there's definitely more questions. They, they're always going to be questions on your um, motivation on why you want to be a commercial lawyer. And if they see things like that, like for me, a social justice, I work in charities and have for the past six, seven years. So there were questions on, well, why the changing intact? Why you, yeah. you obviously like it there. And you say you like it there because you can't bad math because I did like it. Yeah. Now, why do you want to be here? And so you have to be prepared for questions like that, because I would ask the same questions of anybody, not even in law. If you've come from a totally different area, and now you're doing a 180, you've got to answer a question of why. I suppose that if you have a genuine interest in it, and it's a genuine passion of yours, and there are real reasons that you want to be a commercial lawyer it shouldn't be difficult to answer. No, my master's was amazing. I would never... I would never tell anyone not to do one if it's what they want to do. Yeah. Funny enough, I've met a solicitor, a senior associate who works in pro bono areas from one of the big US firms, and I'd met her through my work, and I got introduced to her. When I went to my graduation, she was sitting next to me graduating on the exact same course wow. as me. Wow. And so she obviously found benefit in doing it. As, so you have to justify it to yourself, like it and then do it but don't do it for the sole fact of you haven't got a training contract yeah and now you're bored and don't know what to do right because go and get a job honestly get a job don't it doesn't it doesn't have to be law go work it doesn't have to be a paid work go volunteer in a charity many charities will be happy to have any sort of help have something that when they ask you work-related questions you can then link them back to that experience it's those transferable skills isn't it all all the the time So how many applications, did you make a lot of applications? I mean, I think you said that you you didn't actually have time to make that many, so... I couldn't even give you a number, but no. 
let's say eight maybe right yeah around about eight and did you focus on vacation schemes or was why didn't you go for the direct training contract again it's it's understanding how you perform best yeah so i know on the day there's probably going to be someone who's also got a first class Mm -hmm. degree is very good at showing up on the day right. and smashing through group tasks, yeah. smashing through case studies. Yeah. Not that I don't do well in that, but I know that put me on a vacation mm-hmm. scheme where you put me in your company for two, three weeks, I will work harder, I will be better. Yeah. And I am confident in that I can show my skills in that way, whereas I'm not as confident of getting it on just one single day. An assessment day can be like three or four hours, can't it? And yeah. it's a sh- very short window to impress. Whereas if you're there for a couple of weeks, you can really, you really have that time to shine, I suppose. And with Hogan Lovells, there is a big difference on their their assessment centre for my vacation scheme was half a day. Right. Whereas I think an assessment centre for the training contract is a full day. Oh, it's a full day. And there is differences. So my case study was they gave me a case study and I had to report back to two partners. I think on the training contract assessment centres, it's um, a group case study that maybe is for a panel. I'm not 100% sure, but I know it's group work. And so it's understanding your how the best to do your skills. If you're great, if you, I had a friend of mine on the VAC scheme, he had offers from, I think, two other Magic Circle firms Mm -hmm. and he got them through direct applications. Yeah. And because he was, he knows when he walked in on the day, he was confident, he knew his stuff and he literally smashed them. Whereas I didn't feel as confident about that. So you have to be calculated on what works for you. Yeah, I think that's really smart advice. Be honest. It's yeah. never thinking that. Oh yeah, I'm gonna like. I'll go in. Yeah, have confidence <laughs> without a doubt. But you've got to, you've got to be honest with yourself. Yeah, you're not gonna. Well, I don't know if I could blow and run away in in a couple of hours assessment day compared to compared to being there for you've a got, few weeks where yeah. you can really show how hardworking you are and the knowledge that you yeah. have. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think that's really good. Plus, you've got to be lucky. Like, don't let anyone... I honestly, I'm lucky, 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 lucky. And anyone that's got a training... Because they've worked hard, I will not take it away from them, but I know people that are very good and they didn't get a training contract for, like, four application cycles. Then they did get it, and they're very good. I know people that are also good, but I wouldn't say as good as others, and they've got training contracts on their first rounds. Just because some... you, Your competition on your on the assessment centre is it's competition but you need to see it as friendly competition yeah so you have to compete against them but not enough that it shows that you can't work with them Mm. and sometimes you'll have stronger assessment centres you could turn up and everyone is great and you may and you may not get it because everyone's great you could turn up and you're great they're good and you get it so it's not these rejections are not always about you it may just be on that day, someone was better. Then that's just. And it could be a better fit for that firm. It could be better rapport, maybe with the um, the interviewer, yeah. or someone might have just prepped different questions. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean. I, I got very lucky. I had a lot of help. Right. Um, uh, senior associate at Hope and Levels. I got introduced to him through my work. I decided that because of my the way that I have um, my background, I couldn't approach applications like a 20-year-old student that has just mm-hmm. come out who has great great academics across the board. They can go straight into applications and show these sort of things. I couldn't. So I decided that I had to do more networking, people skills, and I found a firm that works with um, commercial firms. And then I used my actual skills of being a... Um, welfare benefits debt specialist and I applied for a job there and then I run their pro bonos on top of my actual casework job that they gave me and I used that to get introduced in to the pro bono team used that to get um, a meeting to have a coffee with one of their senior associates who then helped me with my application after I submitted my application I then used it for a conversation so he, he could check on my application so a telephone call to grab recruitment 
Yeah. So you, it's just leveraging. Networking really helps, yeah. doesn't it? I think. If you're great at applications, like yeah. one of my friends was just wicked. Like he was just great. Everywhere he applied for, he had an interview everywhere. I don't think he got rejected. He got rejected at assessment centres. That happens. Yeah. But he got first cycle. He got his chain contracts. But he That's was great, great yeah. at applications. Me, I got rejected from a lot of places. I think I did eight. Uh, the only assess I got one, two interviews. Yeah. And that was it. Well, I, I think that's still really good. To be fair, really good kind of um, translation. Some some people make you know loads and loads of mm-hmm. applications and don't get that. Yeah. So, um, so when you actually secured your vacation scheme, um, what did you have a strategy for how you were going to try and convert it into a um, training contract did you have a plan or mm. did you just kind of just go in there and just try and be the best version of yourself okay so it's a, a bit of both really so yeah. for me the firms that I chose I chose on obviously they, they had to be good in what they did and I would make sure they were top firms that were could offer me good training uh, to me training is is a big deal Mm-hmm. But I met, I tried to meet these people. So I'd go to AS events and I would meet them. Um, I would network with other people that I knew and I would ask them about the firms. And if I got a good feeling from the firm and the trainees, then I would apply. And if they were still a good fit for me. Yeah. Um, I'm not one for spreadsheets and with my dyslexia, it doesn't work well for me. But I had a list of firms that I wanted to apply to, their deadlines. I think um, Lawnet or Lawcareers.net Law and stuff like that. Or they Chambers have, student, they're, yeah, they're they, quite good at it. A lot of them are quite deadline. good. Um, a lot of good uh, AS were good, they helped me out. Um, I think there's the one on LinkedIn I thought is the, the corporate, oh, I forget the name, the corporate law. Oh, um, corporate. yeah, the corporate law. Yeah, yeah, like a guy named Jason. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's that's really helpful. Yeah. Like, if I ever have a conversation with people and they're like about what I'm preparing for interview, tell them go on there and yeah. look at the interviews. It's so helpful. Yeah, they have. Really helpful. You can find a list of questions from um, interviews that people have had this year and yeah. last year and the past five years, and the questions are accurate because mm-hmm. they have, they came up in mine interviews that I've done at one firm and the exact same questions come up so it's very good resource um, I didn't pay for any of the services there because they have a paid section of yeah. mm-hmm. one. but if you're struggling there's always the option to sign up and I think they do like application review and stuff yeah. like that but you should be able to get that from your uni so during the process of, of applying was there any point in which you doubted yourself Throughout the whole process, what every other every other day? <laughs> no, it's um, I yeah. I think again because uh, being a career changer, and um, even though law firms say that they they they're happy for career changes, yeah. the application process is not geared for career changes. Mm-hmm. Right, for adult mature students, as they want. It's not geared for that, mm. and so. I'm then competing against people who have just done very well across the board. Like I come from um, a very, whatever they call it, a lower social economic yeah. group. So I come from not such a, a great background. First person in my family to go to yeah. university, dyslexia, dyspraxia. A lot of different, like... yeah hurdles to jump I think that makes a massive difference as well when you're applying because you can't always ask for advice it's not easy to ask for advice if you don't know any lawyers if you don't mm-hmm. have um, family members that are mm-hmm. in professional services then it's difficult to actually know where you're going wrong or what you should be doing so yeah I, I do think it makes a big difference if, very, you, if you don't have that it's very hard if you if you haven't got it LinkedIn is a good resource for yeah. that if you're not if you're not too, I think things are an art where you have to not. You've got to be forward to ask people, but you've got to try and skirt the line of being annoying. Yeah. And it's hard, but it's you have to ask. I was very reluctant to ask anyone for help. Yeah. And I had a manager at my last firm, and he would just 
when he introduced me to his, because he's a slither, he introduced me to people that work for these big firms, he would just ask for me. He was very yeah. cool. He's like, so what can you do for life, Kai? What can you do for yeah, me? What can you do for Kai? He wants to be a slither. Oh, can you offer any um, experience? Can you offer any mentoring yeah. but I'm sure he knew you had it in you yeah. to, to you know once he got you in there yeah. you would take it from there so I think it's about asking for help <laughs> but not expecting someone to do it for you yes yes it's um, since I got my training contract I've had email inboxes on my LinkedIn regularly and I'm very happy to help mm-hmm. I really enjoy it some people go about it in a better way that's all I would say they're very much more polite and it's more of a conversation others will introduce themselves and when you say your help you'll get like a document with 10 questions on can you answer these questions that i don't really like as much because it's not so much of a conversation between me and you it's more of a you've probably contacted 10 people and you've sent them all the same questions that's not the way i would go about it yeah Yeah, you need to build some sort of rapport don't you and like build an actual relationship with someone rather than just hey and then sending someone a list. You'll get so much work help. Like I yeah. said, the, I wouldn't be where I was without the help that I've been given, and that was because yeah. you build relationships, and then you ask a question. You don't just you don't just lead with. It's not if you come with the attitude of what can you do for me. Yeah. People will know that and they don't like it, and they won't. They'll they just won't help you. Yeah. It's easy. There's a block button for a reason, and like it will happen. Yeah. People ignored me when I asked for help. Mm. And so, yeah, it, it, you can get to the point where you doubt yourself without, but have a break, take a weekend off, watch Netflix. Yeah. You know, like go out with your friends and then come Monday, make a decision. Just say, I am, I am who I am. This is going to hurt. This rejection I've had, I felt crappy when I've had some. Some of the firms really, I was like, that's where I, told, so I could see myself being there. Yeah. Rejections come through <clears throat> and they were just, it would hurt. Yeah. yeah, a lot. And but then you take a break. Come Monday, you sit there and say, "What well, is it? Am I going to just walk away, go to another?" And if you do, that's perfectly fine as well. There's other careers other than law. Yeah. But you need to really be committed. Like they say about resilience, it's a key topic, key word that people throw around, and not everyone understands what resilience means in that way. For me, I'm just stubborn. Like I've said, no, I've said to myself, I'm going to be a scissor and that's it and so I may feel bad and I may want to give up but then I'm like no you can't let yourself no no. it's just because otherwise the other side of you will win yeah no that's if that works that works for me I make it a battle yeah exactly you're competing with yourself sometimes and other people use any reason that you can find your family won't like you is not the best reason but if it keeps you on track and then you get there great but you need to yeah. find your what, why yeah it's your why yeah. isn't it and what keeps you going when you've got smacked in the face with rejection after rejection yeah. i had three in one day before yeah well, it hurts yeah <laughs> but you have to expect it like you can't go through oh. through this without you know thinking you're going to get rejected i think you're getting sensitized after a while anyway yeah well, I, I do from what i know friends have told me they're just like okay but i've had let's say i've a good few people that I know have got it in their first application round. Yeah. And even they had been rejected from like nearly all of the firms right. and they did really well with one firm, got a training contract. But they were down and depressed and then you see them two months later and they're like, hey, I've got a training contract. That's great. Like, yeah. that's a massive change. Yeah. If you'd have gave up two months ago, that would have been it. That you never would have got yeah, that, yeah. Yeah, it would be over. Yeah. I mean, it's just preparing you for the rest of your career because not just these training contracts that you're met with rejections that it's you know when you qualify you get things wrong and then you have to go back at it and get it right the next time and you know you're always going to make mistakes so it's just part of human error but yeah it just shows that you've got the skills to actually face uh, and overcome an issue rather than kind of running away i suppose yeah, maybe i think that's a bonus of being in work yeah because i've been i've applied for jobs jobs and not got them before mm. it's happened i've been let go I've been you know, told that you're not good enough had my work pulled apart mm. and you just you do get you just get used to it you're like okay I won't get that one let's go for the next job And but if you can't do that yeah, I do feel for a lot of people in that application yeah. period like I know the depression that it can bring especially for graduates that have been doing really well and they graduate and then they're a bit lost of what to do 
it's a crushing period, but you just got to fight through that, and then it will get better. So, we'll have to uh, ask you about a topic that everyone wants to know the secret to, and that is commercial awareness. So, do you have any advice for listeners that want to improve their commercial awareness? How did you... Um, how did you learn all about it? What what is it? Can you can you share? Okay, so what is it? You're not going to get an answer from me <laughs> on that. You're not because it it's different for every person yeah. and different for every firm. Um, I had a friend of mine who went. It was very good. Went for a, a black scheme. He got asked a question on a topic he had no idea about. Right. And he didn't get the the, yeah. the black scheme, and it was sad for him because he was very good. Yeah. But That's you need, to, yeah, you need to commercial awareness. People, I think, students especially think because when they study, they need to know everything. Mm-hmm. So they learn on books, and they have to learn it for an exam. So they treat it like an exam. But commercial awareness, you need to be aware of the whole commercial world. You don't. If you have interests, learn about them interests. Yeah. So if you're a tech guy, then learn about tech. If you're not, if you're if you're just liking proper, just pure business. And you learn about that, mergers and acquisitions. You, that, if that's what floats your boat, you go for that. If that's yeah. what it is, people need to not get so worried about what they don't know and just be confident on what they do know. Because if you do get a throwaway question in your yeah. interview, if you are ready for and understand that's going to happen, you'll, you can use your skills to direct it into an area that you do know. When I went to um, an aspiring solicitor's... Uh what it was it was a seminar of yeah. sorts and one of the uh, training contract offer holders was saying that she in in her um, interview they asked her about a commercial issue that she actually didn't know anything about but she said oh I I'm not sure about that topic but here let me yeah. tell you about what I do know about the story that I've been following yeah. I've been really interested in and she managed to turn it around she actually got an offer from that, so I thought that was really interesting, and that's always stuck in my head. Yeah, you've got it. Understanding that you can transition from questions yeah. is 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 key because I've when I was in my um, interview, I mentioned stories that they had no idea about, never right. heard of, so they didn't have that awareness. Yeah. So I haven't got it. They haven't got it. Yeah. No one knows everything about everything, and understanding that you don't need to yeah. is key, and you've got to learn. You've got to learn to think on your feet. I know it's yeah. hard, but you, they're going to question you on stuff that you don't know about. And so practice that. You sit in front of the mirror, get your friends to ask you a question on stuff that you don't know and engage your response on it. That's a really good That's really good advice, I think. Practice because it. when you do get a question that you're not ready for, it's not always easy to um, respond in a professional coherent way it, it, yeah I come from a family that's we're very working class we have a lot of banner and it's all it's back and forth all the time so that's <laughs> yeah. given me a good that's a good, good base to be able to think on my feet whereas some if you don't have that you need to learn how to get that because they will throw questions at you that you're not expecting and that's the whole point they are because they want to see how you react did you ever have one of those really off the wall questions like if you're going to be a like a uh, power ranger which one would you be <laughs> no I didn't I, I was they're the ones with, that would probably mess me if you're an animal what would you be and you're like what? <laughs> like if I was an animal I wouldn't be here you know like, I feel have, like we're going to have to ask you this now at the end. no no we can't how can you ask them questions it's, it's, but they they are if you're a kitchen appliance which one would you be I, and I don't well, I'd, I'd be a whisk <laughs> but I, what I don't get is how do they gauge the answer yeah. because it's a nonsensical answer so what yeah. they're asking is for you to give a logical reason yeah. for that so if it was a power rangers one yeah. right, i'd say i want to be the green ranger and you'd say why and they say what's that choice there yeah and you'd be like just because of the way that the story come in is outside yeah. the way he stepped into a leadership well, yeah. You, yeah. You, you have to mm. give reasons if you just say i want to be a lion and yeah. they say why oh, he's a king they're going to say well okay but that doesn't tell no. me anything about how you got to that and don't yeah. answer like that. Don't no. don't give an immediate answer. Take if it's an off the wall question, yeah. they expect you to think about it because they don't expect you to have an answer because mm-hmm. you couldn't. So take a 
take a breath and just say, look, can I think, could you give me like 30 seconds to think about it? Take a, a drink of water yeah. and then give your answer confidently and then back it up with a logical reason from there, straight through. If you yeah. can't do that, that's where that's the failure of the question not being able to justify your answer. Yeah. Not giving a stupid answer. That's, that's, they expect a stupid answer. Yeah, yeah. They just want to know the why of the answer, from what I understand anyway. So, do you have any last words of wisdom or encouragement that you'd like to share with our listeners today? Uh, um, I think I've gone through quite a lot of that. <laughs> Anything about else? That. You don't, we don't, you don't have to say anything. You've co- you have covered a lot. No, anything else that you're I, burning, I, dying to say? Again, these are, because I'm a career changer, it will probably yeah. speak more to that. Than yeah, to definitely. Me. But even then it works for them too. I, you've got to have the right attitude of when you do things. Right. Um, approaching people, be it by LinkedIn, be it personally, whatever it is asking for a recommendation you've got to have the right attitude and I find some people's attitude the way that they approach things causes more problems than they're worth so if you're going for work experience go you don't have to be staying till 10 o'clock at night that's not what I mean when I mean by work and attitude a working attitude is actually going well what can I do to make your life easier for the other person and that stuck stuck with me. I think I put a LinkedIn post the other day. Yeah, I think I remember reading this. Yeah, I did. I had um, I when I was working at my last firm before this community links, I was running the projects, and I had a volunteer, and I've had many volunteers, and a friend of mine, he was just very good. He he would come in and he would ask how, what can he do for me? Because he knew I was busy. I would man them by myself, and then if he was able to help me, he would. But he would have like two senior associates and six trainees there and they turn up early, you can talk to them, you can network, you can do all of that. And he wouldn't. He would say, well, what do you need to get done? Because he knows I've got targets, I've got stuff. Mm. And I'm like, I need this done, this done, and this done. And he would do it. And he would do it happily and you could tell it wasn't a problem for him. Then afterwards he would say, now can I go, like, oh, if I go sit down in the meetings? And I'd go, yeah, great. But he would do that in every everything not just with me the other people in my office loved him no one had a bad word to say about him he was great when i'd meet him he helped me he got a training contract before me and then he helped me get a training contract because he was giving he was helping me on how to prepare so that kind of person i think if you have that mentality and that attitude it just it carries you through interviews um and okay so this is what i'm going to say for the last tip in the interview, everyone worries about it. The best advice that I got given to me, I had a mentor who's a partner in um, a top law firm. And I got that through a scholarship that I took. That paid for my LBC because I couldn't afford that. You know, I'm broke. Not on that training salary yet. Yeah. But um, <laughs> the, what he told me, because I was worried, again, they throw these questions out and I come from a background that doesn't match up to where I'm saying I want to be how do I match it up? They say, I'm in a charity sector, how do I want to work in the, in the commercial sector? And you can answer questions, like you've asked me questions, you could, I could make it a conversation the way I have, or I could answer it and then move on. And that isn't helpful. So he was like, you have to work on your narrative. Right. He was like, your narrative is very strong, where you come from, where you are, where you want to go. You match that into a strong narrative that says, I may not be academically the best from when I was young and I may not have come through the the usual channels but I am here this is what I've done to get here and this is where I want to be and why I want to be here and having a very strong narrative when you walk into the interview is a great way to prepare because then a question isn't just a question it's a conversation right of you telling them about you and it's not a Everyone can ask what's 10 plus 10, yeah. you know, but if you're able to have that two-way conversation, draw them in, they're interested in what you're, what you have to say. They pay a lot of money on their partners and that to give you interviews. They're not, if you can make it a pleasant experience for them and to ease the pressure on yourself, I would always say come up with a strong narrative to weave into all of your questions, all of your answers that you give. 
meets the narrative because then they know you're you thought about it you know where and who and why and now you're showing them and then they should hopefully they will respect that and go forward that's really that's that's fantastic advice, advice. Yeah. yeah so good thank you so much no problem. thank, thank you, for, you for yeah joining us on student lawyers podcast For more student lawyer information, commercial awareness quizzes and interviews, head over to thestudentlawyer.com. If you're a student lawyer who is interested in becoming part of the team, email us at hello at studentlawyer.com.